Um, we are continuing our series that we have been calling My Pleasure. And, and as you've heard us talk about over the last couple of weeks, we've been taking a look just at, at and kind of using Chick-fil-A in, in a way of just kind of our uh, example, or, or just kind of, a, of what it looks like to create a culture of service. Because, because every, I'm probably biased, but I'm sure everybody loves Chick-fil-A in one way or another. And, and they've just become masters at, at being able to create that culture of service, doing what they can to try to create a, an environment where all of their guests, all of their customers just have an amazing experience and want to make sure that they come back as well. And, and, and in, in, in the series, we, we talked about like we've all experienced, like those, those things are burned into our minds when we've had some kind of bad customer service that leaves a, a bad taste in your, in your mouth. But we also remember those times where we've received incredible customer service as well. Like it, it, it just sticks out to us because it, it feels so rare often. And a couple of years back uh, when our family had the, the privilege of being able to go visit the Grand Canyon, we stayed at a, at a hotel that was kind of on the outskirts of Las Vegas. And, and because we're a family of six, like when we're on vacation, we try to find a hotel that makes sure that they serve breakfast because it's one less meal we need to try to pay for six people for. And, uh, and, and so COVID was still a thing. It was still going on. And so it wasn't like a self-serve breakfast. They had somebody there that was serving us. And, and we just had just this amazing encounter, that just this wonderful woman that served us breakfast. She was this, just this little African-American woman. She was probably in her 60s. I, I mean, just the, the, the sweetest thing in the world. Her name was Dawn. And and she was just an absolute delight. The way that she interacted with us, with, with our kids, the way that she just served, and, and just the, the way that she just loved what she was doing. And, and I'm probably jumping to, to some conclusions. I'm guessing she probably did not make a whole lot of money serving breakfast at, at this hotel. But in the end, that really didn't matter because she just had that, that, that gift, that aura about her. And, and she, she made such an impression on us that after we got home, from our trip, I actually reached out to the hotel manager and just wanted to to thank him for having Dawn. Just be, just what an incredible blessing she was to each one of us. But when we're on the receiving end uh, of somebody who's going above and beyond, somebody who has that heart of of love and gratitude and service, it, it we remember those things. We remember them. They stick out in our mind. And in, in fact, Chick Fil A they actually have a, a motto. They they call it Second Mile Service, and and this comes from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, where, where Jesus said that if someone compels you to walk one mile, go with them two miles. The, the idea being, don't just do the bare minimum, but go above and beyond. You know, do, do what it takes to put the needs of somebody else ahead of your own. And, and this morning, we're going to talk about being an influencer. Being an influencer. Now, now that, that word influencer has kind of a unique meaning in, in our day and age. In fact, in 2019, the, the term social media influencer actually was uh, officially adopted into American dictionaries. And, and personally, like I, I can't stand social media. I hate it. Um, if, you, if you interact with me on social media, there's a, probably a 98.7% chance you're dealing with Angela and not, not me. Um, <laughs> But there isn't like necessarily like one cohesive definition of what like a, an influencer is. But I came across one that, that I really liked. And it's someone whose opinion is valued in a particular area and has the ability to affect the behavior of others. 
due to the size of their audience or their authority and reputation within a community. Now, it's kind of, that's kind of a mouthful, but, but in a nutshell, it's somebody who's, whose thoughts, whose opinions, whose views and ideas hold sway over other people. And culture has kind of like hijacked this term of, of influencer to where we may feel like, all right, we need to be a celebrity. I need to be a content creator. I need, I need to be a social media star in order to be an influencer, to have influence. And that's not at all true. Like, you don't need to have a, a big social media following. You, need, you don't need to have any following at all to be an influencer. Right? And, and you may feel like, all right, I can't even influence my children to do what they're supposed to do. How in the world am I supposed to influence other people. But this morning, we're going to discover the truth and, and talk about that every single one of us, God has called us to be an influencer. Every one of us has that, that opportunity if we're willing to take it, if we're willing to take that, 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 that mantle. And, and so I want to kind of reclaim this idea, that reclaim this descriptor of an influencer. Now, for us to, to view ourselves, as, as an influencer, somebody that carries influence with other people, I, I want to begin with, with a statement that's going to kind of like be foundational for this message. We're going to keep coming back to it throughout the message today. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. And it's this idea that you have no idea how one conversation, how one word of encouragement or one expression of love might change somebody's life. Like, we, we have no idea. Like, I want you just to let that sink in for a moment. Like, you, you have no idea how just one conversation, one word of encouragement, one expression of love might change somebody's life. Like, we're, ne we're never going to know how, how maybe one simple, small gesture on our part might may have an eternal kingdom impact on somebody else's life. Now, now, for those of us that are, are believers in the room, that are followers of Jesus, and I, and I recognize not everybody is, like we're all at different places in our, in our faith journey, but, but those who are disciples of Jesus, that are followers of Jesus, I, I want to share with you two metaphors from Matthew's gospel that, that Jesus shares about who he calls us to be as influencers. And, and so in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13, he comes out, Jesus comes out and he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, now, what, now, what does salt do? Salt, salt purifies, it preserves, it adds flavor. And so, like, if, if somebody called you salty, it's not necessarily an insult. But he goes on to say, but, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Then he goes on to say, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. But instead, they put it on, on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says that we are, that we are salt, that we are light, that, that we have an opportunity to let our light of influence pass on to others for the kingdom of God. And, 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 and that's what Jesus has to say about, about influence, about who we are as followers of Jesus. And like I said, I want to kind of like reclaim this, this idea, this definition of what being an influencer is. Because the way, that, the way that the world, the way that our culture has kind of framed and shaped this idea of being an influencer, it actually does it an incredible disservice. Because, 
It, the, the problem with our modern, our, our cultural view of influence is that it typically starts with, with a platform. Like in, in one way or another, maybe you've heard this phrase or some variation of this phrase, is that the size of your platform determines the scope of your influence. I've, I've heard that many times before, and I would argue that, that true and lasting influence will always begin with people over platform. It, it will always begin with, with those that are right in front of you, not necessarily the size of the platform that you carry. And every one of us, like we come in contact with people every single day, and we, we even call it that. The, we, there, there's a phrase, the sphere of our influence, the people that we rub shoulders with, that we come in contact with on a daily basis, that God has called us to be influencers. And, and if you look at any, any single person or any group or any, any institution that has, has achieved any uh, degree of success whatsoever, there's always people along the way. There's other influences that they've had that have, that have helped shape who they are to this day. So be it musicians or movie directors or scientists or athletes or teachers or pastors, like who you are today and, and, and what you do and how you carry out that thing that, that you do has been influenced by the people that you have encountered, the people that have, have meant something to you along the way. You too is, is, is arguably one of the, the most successful recognized band of the last 30, 40 years, if you can put that up on the screen. Like, and, and you too, like, they list the likes of The Who, The Ramones, The Beatles, Van Morrison, David Bowie, Johnny Cash, as, as just some of, some of the, those that have influenced their musical style. But they've also recognized lesser-known groups like Susie and the Banshees. Anybody have a Susie and the Banshees? Did I see a hand back there? I, all right, all right, a, a few, all right. Craftwork, The Clash, Joy Division. Like, and, and everybody on that list, whether we've heard of them or not, like, they had no idea that their, their music, that their lyrics, that their stage presence was going to have a significant influence on a band that was going to sell over 175 million records in the U.S. alone. Like, they, they didn't have any idea in that moment that, that what they were doing was going to have an impact and have an influence on someone else. And so whether, whether it's something small and, and seemingly insignificant or whether it's a, it's a bigger thing, we never know the difference. We never know how we might be an influence in somebody else's life. And if you think back on your own life, like I guarantee you that there are people along the way that have impacted you, that have shaped who you are to this day. Like, I, I want you just to take just, just a moment, just, just to pause and reflect and think for a second. Like, who, who's one of those people in your life that, that has been influential in, in shaping who you are to this day? Shaping the, 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 way, that, the way that you parent, the, what, the things that you believe. Like, who would be that person who's kind of shaped and molded you, who's been that influence? For me, I, I had the same soccer coach for 11 years uh, of my life. I, I played on the same team as his son, and, and Patrick Doyle was, was my coach. And, and he was one of those people that, that shaped me. He pushed me when, when I thought I couldn't do something or, or when I thought I just had nothing left. He, he encouraged me to quit being the, the class clown and actually like apply myself. 
he gave me leadership opportunities, like being team captain. And, and I've since lost touch with Coach Doyle. I, he may not even remember, you know, the, who I am or, or wouldn't know anything about me to this day. But Coach Doyle, whether he knew it or not, was actually being a big influence in my life. And, and, and my interactions with Coach Doyle actually leads me to this next point this morning, is that influence, it's not always instant, and it isn't always obvious. Influence is not always instant, and it isn't always obvious. Like, as much as Coach Doyle tried to steer and encourage and push me, I didn't always respond well to it in the moment. I'd fuss, I'd argue, I'd complain. I still was a class clown. I still hated doing running drills. And, like, even though that he didn't see that harvest immediately, quite honestly, he probably didn't see a harvest in me at all, just because it wasn't obvious and just because it wasn't instant doesn't mean that that influence wasn't there. Like he didn't know the seeds that he was planting in me, how they were going to come and blossom and develop later on in life. Because again, we have no idea how God might use us just in one moment to have a long-lasting and, and real influence in somebody else's life. And, and I want to share with you a, a story from John's Gospel this morning that, that is probably about one of the least likely influencers in all, of, in all of Scripture. It's about a woman that nobody, nobody would have thought would have had a, any kind of positive influence on anyone. Like the, the context of this story is that Jesus and his disciples, they, they were traveling, they were on a trip, and they end up passing through Samaria as, as they're heading back home. And, and it, it was an unusual choice to, to go through Samaria because they were Jews, and, and the Jews, they wanted nothing to do with, with the Samaritans. They did everything they could to avoid them because Samaritans were half Jewish, they were half Gentile. And so like uh, Jews, like they just, they just stayed away. They wanted nothing to do. They didn't associate with Samaritans. And, and and so a, a, a good Jewish man, he wasn't going to associate with a Samaritan, much less a Samaritan woman. But as Jesus often did, he shocked everybody when he sat down by a well to rest while his disciples went out to go get food. And, and a Samaritan woman approaches this well where Jesus was sitting, and Jesus looks at her and he, and he asks, could you give me some water? Could you give me some water? Like He dignifies her by starting a conversation, and she's completely thrown off by this. In John chapter 4, starting in verse 9, it says, The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift that God has for you, and you who are speaking, and who, excuse me, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. And she, she's, she's intrigued, she's a, little, she's a little confused because she, like, she goes on to say, she's like, all right, you don't have a bucket, you don't have a rope, why would I ask you for water? Like, what, like I don't even know what, what you're talking about. And Jesus replied in verse 13, he says, anybody who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It, will be, it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Like, she, she notices there's something different about this man that she's talking to. That Jesus, 
Jesus tells her, all right, if, if you drink the water that I have, you're, you'll never be thirsty again. And, and this is my own, my own speculation here, but I wonder if she was thinking, even in this moment of, of physical water, that, wow, really? Like, you, you have water that if I drink it, I'm never going to thirst again? Like, I'm not going to have to come to this stupid well every single day and carry the water back to my house? Like, sign me up. But then Jesus says something else to her in verse 16. He says, I want you to go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Like, there, there wasn't a, a Jewish man alive that would have interacted with, the, with this woman. But Jesus, he approaches her with, with dignity in his heart and honors her just with grace and with compassion. And, and all the time knowing that she was an outcast in her own community. Like, a, a woman that had been married five times and was shacking up with somebody now, like, that would raise some eyebrows today. That would have been downright scandalous at that time. Like she would have been completely shunned, completely ostracized within her community. She, she would have been the, the, the woman that everybody looked at and whispered about. That the other women in town didn't want their husband being around her. But Jesus saw her different. He saw her differently. He saw her as a miracle waiting to happen. And then it starts to dawn on her. Like she, she had heard, she knew some of these, these prophecies about, about the Messiah and this Jewish man that came and he showed her honor and he showed her dignity. He spoke to her with, with love and compassion. That he knew everything there was to know about her. That maybe, maybe this guy that I'm talking to really is the Messiah. And so in verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and she ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And so the people came streaming from the village to see him. Now, now, now what do we see from this powerful story? Like, obviously, first of all, no matter how messed up your life is, we're never too far gone for the love of Jesus and for him to come pursuing us. And thank God for that. But then we see this outcast, this, one that, this woman that everybody else was whispering about and talking about behind her back that she goes and she starts telling everybody to come see this man. Come see this man who could be the Messiah. This broken woman, this woman with a past, this woman that everybody looked at skeptically, she instantly became an influencer. And if anything, this demonstrates, and I want you to write this down if you're taking notes, that you don't have to have it all together to influence someone for Jesus. You don't have to have it all together. Like, we don't have to have... You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have all the issues fixed in your life in order to be an influencer for Jesus. You have to know who Jesus is and you have to care for people. Know who Jesus is and care for people. And you can immediately be that salt and light to those around you. Know Jesus, care for people. You don't need 5,000 followers to have a platform. You just need to care about that person who's sitting right in front of you, who you're having a conversation with in that moment. 
that influence doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be complicated. Just, just the way that we talk, the way that we worship, the way that we interact with others, the way we carry ourselves, the way that we treat others that others might view as less than. It's the simple things that often carry the most influence in our lives. Like We, we don't have to know it all in order to let our light shine, in order to be an influence. We, we just allow salt to do what salt does because we have no idea what just one word of encouragement what one word of hope, how one expression of love might influence somebody else for Jesus. Now, now going back to, to the story in, in John, Jesus, his disciples come back. They, they've gotten some food and they're hungry and, and Jesus goes all spiritual on them and he says, you know what, the, the, my food is doing the will of my father. But then he uses this farming metaphor that he says to, to his disciples and he says, the fields are ripe for harvest. But the laborers are few. The, the influencers are few. Like, he, like Jesus saying, he said, God wants to do some amazing work right here. God wants to do some amazing work in the lives of his people. But there's not many people who are open, who are willing to be influencers, who are willing to be used by him to make a difference in the world. I'll tell you, like, don't let culture rob you by making you feel like you have to have this large following, this large platform to be an influencer. Because influence doesn't start with a platform. It starts with a person. It starts with the one who's right in front of you in that moment. This woman went out and she shared with everybody, hey, come see this guy. He, he might be the Messiah. And then look at what John records in verse 39. It says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus. Like, and, 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 and I can't overstate like how shocking this probably would have been to, to Jewish readers at the time. But like how scandalous and, how, and how, like what a miracle it would be for one Samaritan to have put their faith in the Messiah. But John records that many Samaritans believed. Why? Be, because one unlikely woman said she was open. She was willing to be an influencer because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then he, they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. We don't need to have a large following. We don't need to have any following at all. But if we know Jesus and we care about people, if we care about that person who we make eye contact with, that person who's sitting right in front of us, you're an influencer. We don't have to have our whole life together to make a difference to influence others for God because we have no idea what just what one gesture what one kind word one word of encouragement one one small act of love like we have no idea what that might mean and the impact it might have on somebody else and so I want to I want to kind of wind down here just by being just a little bit 
just vulnerable and honest with you. Um, so I, I've, been, I've been the pastor here for now exactly three years and three months. And, and there's a lot of things that have changed in that time. There's a lot of things that have changed in those three years and three months. There have been leadership changes. There have been staff changes. There are people who used to attend here, attend here who no longer do. There are people that are brand new to our church family. COVID came and, and threw everything off. And, and, and when you come to, to a new church as a pastor, like you have all these, these dreams and thoughts and ideas of what it's going to be like. In some ways, it reminds me of like being a newlywed. Like you have, all, you have these, these dreams and ideas on your wedding day of, oh man, this is, this is what life is going to be like. How you're going to handle conflict if you have any conflict at all. What, what it's going to be like to be parents, to grow old. And, and I don't want to rain on the parade of anybody who's newly married, but it doesn't take long <laughs> for those dreams and those bubbles to pop. Like, right? Things happen. Marriage is hard. Like, it's harder than we think. And, and some of those things that we that we thought it was going to be like, it actually turns out completely different. And it can, be, it can be disheartening. It can be discouraging. Because we thought it was going to go one way and things actually turned out a different way. And if I can just be humbly transparent, things here just haven't always played out the way that, that I had in my head, the way that I thought they were going to. Change happens. Change is hard. Ministry is hard. Life is hard. It's difficult. <clears throat> change in leadership. Change in staff. Change in the way that we do things. Change in who's here, who's not here. Like those things, they're hard. They're difficult. They can be disheartening and discouraging. But, but I want to share with you something that, that God's just been opening my eyes to. Some, something that I've just been holding on to. And that, that, that God's been reminding me of, and I pray that it's going to be an encouragement to you as well. That, that through it all, that God is still faithful and God is still here. He's still present. He's still moving. He's still using his people. And he's still using us to have an influence on others. Just this week, I, I had somebody come up to me and just ask, hey, is there anything I could do? Like, like could, could I help out with something on the app? You know, like, you know, I, I'd love to put all the sermon notes on the app and, and put the reading plan and, and, and those kinds of things on, on the church app. Like I, I told you a few weeks ago, like when, when there's a vacuum, God raises people up. He raises up Gideons to come and go in the strength that they have. J just this week, I had two different people come up and talk to me who've never led a group before, never led a small group, never led a circle community before, said, you know what, I, I think I want to lead a group. What do I need to do? How, how do I get involved? They, they want to be a part of what it is that God is doing, to be an influencer. Like God is raising up Gideons. He's raising up influencers right here. And we're going to be starting groups in, in a couple weeks, and we're going to be talking more about that coming up. But maybe that's you. Maybe you've never led a group before. Maybe you did a long time ago. And you say, you know what, I'm open. I, I'm willing to, to be that person. Hey, come have a conversation with me. Come talk to Katie. Just this week, we had an amazing experience over at Trail Point Village. 
Um, if, if you're not familiar, Trail Point is it's an assisted living residence, actually just right here on, on the south side, um, just maybe about a mile and a half from us, if that. And it's, it's a longer story, but I'm going to try to keep it brief. But, but as a part of our, our mission to, to love and to serve those on the south side, my, my wife Angela, she had a conversation with one of the directors over at Trail Point and just kind of just asking questions. All right, what, what can we do to be a blessing to, to the residents here at, at Trail Point Village? And, and along, along those lines, because Angela's been volunteering to help lead up kids right now, that Angela's been having some conversations with different people, just kind of, just kind of trying to gauge their interest. Hey, would you be interested in, in serving and working with kids at all? And one of those, conversation, one of those conversations she had was with Michelle Barrett-Heaton. She's been a, a, a member here for a long time. And, and as Michelle and Angela were talking, Michelle kind of told her, all right, kids aren't really my thing. And that's okay. But I really do have a heart for the elderly. And Angela said, hey, I'm having this conversation with one of the directors at Trail Point. Why, why don't you come? Why don't you come just, you know, let, let's, just, let's just talk and see if there's any connections that happened. And, and Trail Point, they, like, they were overjoyed to hear that we'd be interested in, in trying to partner with them and, and try to, you know, be a blessing to them because, because after COVID, they've gotten hardly any of their volunteers to come back since COVID happened. And so when Angela left, Michelle actually stayed for a bit and got introduced to, to one of the residents over at Trail Point and, and spent a good deal of time with her. And after just a short period of time of, of just sitting and just listening and just being present with one of the residents there, she completely opened up to Michelle. I, I, I want to I be careful. Like she shared about an extremely traumatic event from her childhood that she said, I've literally never told anybody about this in my entire life. She shared with Michelle about how for her whole life, she's never really felt the love of anybody from her parents, from anyone in, in her life. And even though she believed in God, she even had a hard time believing that God loved her. Michelle gave her a hug and said, that's why we're here. That, that's, that's, why, that's why we're here, to, to show you, to demonstrate that, that love of God for you because you are valuable, you are important. It's just what, what, what an amazing opportunity. What an, what an amazing experience of, of God using Michelle to share his love with a woman who desperately needed it. Because we never know. We never know what one conversation. We never know what one word of encouragement. What one demonstration of love. How, how that will have an impact on somebody else. Because Michelle was willing to say yes. She went in the strength that she had. She was doing her part as a part of the body of Christ. And, and God used her to have an influence in the life of this beautiful soul over at Trail Point. And, and I share these stories because, I mean, there, there is no sugarcoating it. You know, th this has been a tough season. Change is hard. It's not always smooth sailing. But, but look what happens when God's people say yes. When, when, when God's people say, you know what? I'm in. I am an influencer. I am indispensable. I'm invaluable to the work that God is doing. 
when we're willing to, to yield ourselves to him and to his plan. And you've heard me share this before, that every one of us, every one of us, like we have a part to play in the story that God is writing. We all have a different role. We all have a different place. Like Michelle's gifting was not with kids, and that's okay. But man, did God use her to demonstrate his love to a, to a woman who desperately needed it this week. Playing keyboard may not be Wayne Carner's gift. Amen, Wayne? But God's going to use Wayne and Penny as they lead a group this semester to have an influence and to make an impact on people's lives. Because we never know. We never know what one conversation, one word of encouragement, one demonstration of love, the impact that that will have. Like in spite of it all, like, God is here. God loves this church way more than we ever could. He, he loves the people right here in our community more than we do. He, he loves our kids that are back in LSC Kids way more than we do. He cares for the teenagers here at Living Stones way more than we possibly do. And, and, and next week as we wrap up this series, we're going to talk about how each of us, how we can live out that God-given calling in our life. But what happens when, when we're willing to say yes? When we're willing to be an influencer, not, not for our sake, not to build a name or a reputation or a platform for us, but when we do it for the glory of God, lives are touched, lives are impacted. When you have a when you have a woman who for 70 plus years said she's never felt the love of anybody, even the love of God in her life. And in a brief period of time, Michelle went over there and showed that and demonstrated that. You never know. You never know what one conversation, one word of encouragement, one demonstration of love, how it's going to have an impact. I want to I close this morning by inviting our church family to, to come forward to partake in communion today. And, and here at Living Stones, we, we practice an open communion. You don't have to be a member of, of Living Stones to, to come partake in the Lord's Supper. And, and just in the same way that God extends the invitation to everyone to come and to follow him. That invitation is open to everyone to come to gather around this table as we, as we remember God's goodness and his faithfulness and his love and his sacrifice for all of us. I, I'm going to pray and our ushers are going to come forward. Our worship team is going to come back up to the front. And as we, as we sing this last song this morning, I, I want to invite you to come forward to the table. And as you do, just do it with an overwhelming heart of gratitude for what God has done for you and what he's done for every single one of us. The way that he's called us to show and to demonstrate his love to others. Would you bow your heads and let me pray for us?
Lord, we, we love you, God, so much. And we thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace, your amazing faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for the way that you uh, set up divine appointments. God, even, even those moments where maybe we don't even realize it in the moment. We, we, we might not even see what it is that you're up to, Lord, that, that you have called us to come be a part of what it is that you're doing. Lord, you've extended that invitation to each of us, Lord, and, and we just want to thank you for that. And, and Lord, I, I, I pray that you would help all of us, Lord, to, to keep that in the forefront of our minds, Lord, that we would, we're never going to know, we're never going to fully realize, God, how you might use just a, one conversation. Just looking somebody in, in, in the eye and just being a listening ear, just being present. Giving a gift. Maybe just giving the gift of time. Because we never know, God, how you're going to use us to influence other people. To maybe redirect and steer their, their life in a completely different path and a completely different direction. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes. God, give us the eyes to see what only you can see. Give us, give us the eyes to see how, how we can be that kind of influencer in the lives of those around us. And Lord, as we come to the communion table here this morning, Lord, we do so with, with hearts of, of overwhelming gratitude. God, we, we come to this, this table today grateful that, that you have called us, you've adopted us into your family. And Lord, you've asked us to make an influence in the lives of those around us, Lord. God, we humbly come, we humbly thank you, and we honor you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come to the table this morning as we worship?